I, I just don't like these days connecting my wallet to a website. It just feels as if you're giving your wallet to somebody. From 7 CTOs, my name is Etienne De Bruyne and you're in the CTO studio. Yeah, the fact that you hold your, uh, not all, but you hold a lot of value in that wallet and you're saying, here's somebody, use this. And then I saw a hack on TikTok the other day where if you open your wallet in one tab, technically it's open in all tabs. Which browser? I have found that to be true. I can build a wallet from scratch right now. There's open source code and I can compile my own wallet, whether it's in Flutter, on my mobile device, or whatever the case is, or, or there's the, the commercially available wallets like the MetaMasks and so forth. And so a lot of wallets for the desktop tend to be Chrome extensions based. So you have essentially what is just a Chrome extension that runs. And so, you know, think of permissions related to Chrome extension and you you essentially have all the things that can happen, right? So if you if you codify your own wallet and you make it so that it has access to things it probably shouldn't have outside of a tab, you could probably pull that off. But it, it's really dependent on the developer who made it and how they wanted to implement it. Most wallets follow proper security practices though. And they retain their access within the scope of, of the tab that you're in and that sort of thing. But, you know, some people might make stuff that's a little hacky and, and potentially might get them banned off of the Chrome store at some point in the future. And this example was a MetaMask example where it wasn't set to be locked. I guess the yeah. word is locked by default. The exploit was... And again, I don't know if this is true. This was on TikTok, yeah. so who knows. But that that... You could, in all your tabs, start going to sort of a malicious site that then is able to extract your, your ETH. Anyways. I can believe it. I can definitely believe it. The other thing I saw, which was which bothered me, was someone recommended don't do a whole bunch of transactions with the same account in your MetaMask because you leave a trail of your address that people can exploit somehow? Does does that sound real? Not exploit, but people could figure out what you're doing. I mentioned this in a previous conversation that we had where we were talking about the whole identity issue. You know, there are wallets that I have that I'm okay with it being public and there are wallets that I have that I don't want the public to know about. If I'm transitioning money in and out of the same two wallets constantly, then, then people can reasonably assume that that is my other wallet and thus can tie that back to me and thus can can potentially know what my net worth is and that sort of thing based off of that information. But, but I wouldn't necessarily see how that could be exploitable. Okay, so let's, let's, we had a great conversation about DAOs. I think we can have many conversation about DAOs. We can go high level, we can go low level. We have Ken, Frank, and Michael, which is going to bring just delicious new perspectives. We all know what DAOs are now. They are decentralized autonomous organizations that are meant to have a trustless way of members who might not know each other, who probably don't know each other, all participate in a grand cause. Constitution DAO was a great flagship example of, of what can happen and then what can go down in flames. But let's just open up with a couple thoughts on DAOs. Are you guys excited about it? Have you 
thought about potential uses. Frank, I know you brought up a great example in our last conversation around conglomeration around open source projects that then has everybody participate in a meaningful monetary way. So as I've been reading, I've actually been struggling to see how in a company as a CTO, you might, one might use a DAO. In other words, it looks really good for open source. It looks really good for trying to buy a constitution. I did, I did read about that. I thought that was brilliant. And then in a corporation, where's this hierarchical structure? like was talked about in the previous CTO studio, where there's uh, a leadership team and, and someone or someone, some, some figurehead or C-suite or someone like curating the vision and, and making the final decisions in the DAOs. As a CTO, why would, why would we give up that control? And why would we, unless we're a benefit corp or a nonprofit and we're trying to do a greater good thing, how how could we use that as as a way to benefit a company? And I haven't found that yet. Yeah, I I think about that. And one of the ideas I had in just in reflecting on our conversation yesterday was what if it's an internal tool to generate some excitement around you know in your in your engineering team? Let's say you have 50 engineers, 10 engineers, 500 engineers creating guilds or creating some sort of fun way to participate. I think Alex made me aware of a what was it called Rails Guild yesterday? Yeah, Rails Guild is it's kind of like an agency model using the DAO as basically I guess the the manager of the treasury of the proceeds from that agency. And I forget that there's a, a kind of a DAO platform that it's built on and it has the concept of a rage quit, whereas basically <laughs> when you do, you basically turn in your share of the treasury in order to pull out those proceeds. But once you do that, you're, I believe you're kind of done there. Yeah, I, I thought that was very interesting. Alex, welcome. Uh, it's good to see you again. Hey guys, hey everybody. Alex. Yes, hey. So we have Ken and Frank and Michael. So uh, we were just talking about the Raid Guild thing, Alex. And and Ken brought up an interesting point. How are DAOs important to CTOs? And and I, you know, I was I was inspired by the Raid Guild thing about maybe there can be an internal geek fest around a DAO inside of a company. But I I know that's not what you meant, Ken, but potentially, you know, what you know, you know, I don't see myself waltzing into the C-suite and now promoting our company to have some sort of DAO situation. Maybe there's a way to build communities inside of your user base, but that all seems a little far-fetched to me. And so I think what, within an organization, there's, I think I could see a couple of different ways that it could be used. Like kind of the, the cutesy way is, I don't know, maybe it's like kind of like a karma system internally. You know, like right now in, in Slack, you could plus plus somebody and it adds to some karma system. But what if there was, uh, what if there was some value beyond just the, the leaderboard that you could provide and, and something like that. And another thing is, I mean, I don't know around the legality and all of that, but it might be an interesting way to potentially do profit sharing it could be through a DAO where, you know, by doing the work you, you earn, you earn the tokens and, and profit is contributed to that treasury. 
And as long as you're there, you, you just can keep accumulating that. And when you leave, or if there's something that, that you need it for, you can kind of exchange those tokens for the currency that's in there. Yeah, I, I tend to see a lot of this stuff in terms of design patterns. Like a DAO it is just a codified design pattern that, that, that implements a, a voting system and a, an implementation of something that you vote on and, and the ability to pull stuff in and out of and that, and that sort of thing. Same thing with like NFT. NFT, in my, my mind, is just a design pattern within smart contracts that allows you to do X and Y and so forth. And so when you think of it in that, in those terms as design patterns, essentially, yeah, I, I don't necessarily tend to think of it as how can we do this internally for the company? I tend to think of it as how do I implement this design pattern on the products that I built, right? And so the products that you're building might be social in nature. They might want to, to have the ability to allow your users to, to make decisions in, in tandem with what with what you're doing, the, the ability to be able to to produce that that social cohesion in a particular product that you put out as a company, like like the DAO isn't going to control your company, right? Like it's not gonna it's not gonna like boot out your CEO and and and, and take over as your board of directors. Although there's some like nested DAOs that are looking at, at conception of the idea of like you know the shareholders per se vote on a group of wallets that then vote on big decisions and that group of officer wallets or whatever the case is can make bigger decisions as a whole and so you're you're not voting on the big decisions you're like a republic style like you're, you're voting on the wallets that are going to be in that large in that smaller group to make those bigger decisions so, so there's stuff like that out there that people are trying to build but it's not going to take over your company. It's not going to take over how your company operates. So I tend to think of it more as how do I build this into the products that I'm building? So when you're talking about a voting system and you're talking about people having stake, you know, skin in the game, essentially, in terms of these decisions, because they've put, they've put ether and they've put whatever money in that they have, then, then you can really conceptually think of a product that is very different from what we can build today, right? Like a, like a social product that is very different from what we can experience today. So here's one thing I learned yesterday. I have this friend who works at Olympus down. Olympus, I don't know guys, if you've heard of it. The way I call it is like a glorified Ponzi scheme that actually looks a lot more legit. But any any currency in that sense is a Ponzi scheme and you're just trying to make it the most popular currency compared to all the others. And if you become the number one, then you become the reserve currency of the, of the blockchain. Anyway, they provide a whole bunch of financial instruments and so on. And so it says DAO in its name, right? Olympus DAO. It had existed since April and there's no DAO. Like there's no actual DAO. There's a wallet, the treasury wallet that has a multi-sig. So there's something like seven out of 10 people have to sign to make a transaction out of its wallet. But there's no formal DAO in there, even though there's DAO in the name. And so does a DAO limit the flexibility that you need to have as a company that evolves, the company that just goes from zero to one and tries to find that what, what, where's the product market fit and, you know, what you are today and what you are in six months, 12 months might be completely different things. And it feels like in real world, in many cases, you may not want to restrict yourself to something very specific that is coded to some specific roles. And it looks like an Olympus DAO is a big deal. Like that's one of the bigger kind of DeFi things that's been going on recently. There's no, like, there's no formula, there's no DAO. And that's kind of interesting. Any, any polls that they run, they just run 
traditional web to off-chain instruments, it still verifies that you have the token, but it doesn't necessarily run the poll on chain. The, it, it's, it's basically the way for the management group, for the leadership to gather opinions. They don't care if it's, you know, on-chain or off-chain and running it off-chain is easier. So I think what we're going to be running into is, you know, what there's the philosophically the correct way of doing things um, in the crypto world and Web3. And then there's the practicality of things and those things don't always align with each other. And uh, that's that's an interesting topic to me personally. I, and I, I've, been, I've been curious about those kind of things. So that's an interesting example of how you would use a DAO. It's, and I just went to the page and was looking some stuff up and I can't tell you know, whether there's a DAO or not by looking at it yet. But, and you know more about that than I do. But with a DAO, I'm wondering now if it couldn't be used to cause more social acceptance. Whether there's a DAO or not with Olympus, they put it in the name and people get excited and they follow it. Well, what if, what if, I wish I had a better example, but what if you wanted to start a new Facebook, right? Or what if Facebook had been started with a DAO and then they want to introduce news and there's actual, an actual DAO behind it and the membership says, oh yeah, we'd like news. They all vote, whatever. And then they decide, okay, now we're going to uh, start restricting things. We're going to sell information or we're going to do all these other things. And then the DAO, like you could, you could not, because it's winner take all, right? You could not start another Facebook and hope to compete with Facebook in terms of as a social network and have billions and billions of users. Like, they've already won that market, right? However, if someone says, okay, they start something called Facebook now, okay, they'd have a better name. But then people might jump on that saying, okay, this is our social network, and we have the votes. And perhaps that could be a way that you could start a company, make something of value, but the value could help people, you know, going back to the theme of we all want to own our data. Great example. And I'm going to give you a real world example of what you just described that actually had happened in the, within the last few weeks. So there's this thing called OpenDAO. Some of you may have heard of it. They released the SOS token. Basically what they did. So OpenSea, we all know OpenSea. It's the, it's, it's the marketplace, most popular marketplace. It's centralized. OpenSea is a centralized marketplace funded by VCs. It's, it's, you know, it's completely an off-chain kind of thing. There is no DAO. It's, it's managed like a traditional company. So when they started talking about going public, a lot of people in the crypto world got this thought, like, why are you going public? Why don't we release the token and distribute the token to the users and actually let the users have the benefit of, you know, make it public, but in the crypto world, not in the traditional world. And so somebody did this thing where they basically airdropped. Airdrop means they just put this new token into the wallet of the existing people. The airdrop those tokens of this open down, the SOS tokens, into the wallets of the users who bought NFTs on OpenSea. And you should look at the articles. It's that, that thing kind of, kind of blew up and within a couple of days, everybody went to claim their token. 
they uh, were able to put a bunch of liquidity and contractual backing to the token. And there's a bunch of interesting defined instruments they used. But that's exactly the premise of OpenDAO is we're going to distribute it to everybody who ever used OpenSea. And people who used it more, they're going to get more. People who use less, they're going to get less. But we're going to use this new community and the funds that people lock into this DAO to create basically a new open sea, but an actual better, better open sea. And that's, that's kind of interesting. And that's, I think, kind of, is, is it kind of exactly what you're describing? The benefit of this situation is that every, everybody who bought anything using open sea, it's all, you know, you can see it on chain. So it was super easy to kind of pull it off. And it, it became a big thing. And we'll, we'll see what, you know, we'll see what happens there. But now that that DAO has the big community and a good amount of treasury to go ahead and build an open C computer. And now they have, you know, you don't have to build a product and then try to find the users to use the product. You have a whole bunch of users now. You just need to build a product that satisfies those users. It's kind of the community can control the house. Built I, I've seen this happen a lot uh, recently with with different projects within this space. Uh, a lot of people will start like a lot of NFT projects, for example, will have like a podcast and they'll have like you know like a Discord Discord server, and, and and before they ever have a website, before they even have smart contract, before they have anything built, like they'll start with a community basically, and and the, the founders, the guys who are writing the thing, the guys who are putting the thing together, will sort of start there and they'll start getting interest and they'll start you know bringing people onto the discord and then like almost everything else is secondary to that community. Right. So like, like they have the discord, they have the community, they have everything. Now they're building the tokens. Now they're building the components. Now they're, now they're launching the website. Now they're, they're, they're launching the website and getting it to interact with the, with the backend discord server so that, so that folks can get what the website is putting out and that sort of thing. So there's definitely an interesting community first approach to a lot of these sort of projects where, where like to, to your point about like the DAO doesn't have to have the voting built in, you know, that's true. Like, it, like it doesn't, like it, it, it's, it's just a design pattern, right? And you could choose how you design your, your DAO however you choose to, to design it, you don't have to necessarily implement it in the blockchain. But a lot of the reasons why you don't have that initially is because a lot of these projects start before the smart contract ever exists or before the token ever exists. And because this stuff is so hard to build and to build correctly the first time around, you see a lot of folks doing the drops. So, so they're working with the community, building all this stuff up in the background, and then they drop their stuff right then and there. And when you do their drop, that for NFT or for Dell or whatever, for their token, that's when everybody in the community gets behind it. And, and suddenly, suddenly we start hearing about it because now they've gotten past a certain point. And so a lot of the things that we, we associate with DAOs, there just isn't the time or the energy or the effort necessarily to codify a lot of this stuff because they're coming at it from a community first perspective. My thinking here is that DAO N equals one was the planet with all these currencies and DAO N equals M or infinite is just the shrinking of those worlds into all these many little planets called DAOs where you now create your own rules and your own currency. Yeah. In my head, I almost want to separate a few of the, the terminology has to be clearer here because DAO, one thing DAO is, it's a community. 
and it's a community that does something together. Maybe it supports a project. Maybe it's a service kind of guild community. Maybe it's something, maybe it's a social thing like FWB. Then there's the DAO that is the kind of a codified set of rules and contracts that you put on chain. There almost like has to be a different terminology to that because one can exist without the other in a way. And it, and then there's the DAO that is the management approach that it's all flat. There's no hierarchy, which I'm going to go back to the example of Olympus DAO. That's now, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the spirit of it, but it's not really how it runs. It's still, whether you want it or not, there's still going to be hierarchy. There's still going to be people who are going to become leaders. There's still going to be people who get some cloud. Like it's, it's, and so there's the community, there's the code side of it, and then there's the management side of it. And all that right now is called with one simple term DAO, but they're all independent from each other. And I feel like there's got to be, you know, maybe, maybe over time it's going to be, you know, it's going to evolve and have different names, but right now it's kind of confusing. Isn't the one thing that is special to a DAO and is the binding factor to the DAO, the token? And DAO can exist without a token. If you look at the DAOs on the DAO House platform, which is the Raid Guild is one of those. There's a bunch of others. I think there's a way to run it without your own token and instead use the, the DAI token, I think. I may be wrong, but basically you're using a stable coin instead of your own token. I, I don't know how, exactly how details and I didn't research very much. Yeah, you can, you can build a DAO without a token associated to it, right? Like I said, again, going back to design patterns, like, the DAO is the voting and 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 sort of decision making piece of that design pattern. The token could be something completely different. Just like I can make a token, pre-mint a million, put it out in the world, and it does nothing. Like a DAO, DAO associating a DAO to a token merely gives it additional features to what the DAO is capable of doing or what the DAO can do. And to Alex's point about how you have different DAOs doing completely different things in different ways, and we're all still calling it a DAO. I think in many of the same ways, like we have companies that function very differently from one another, right? Like you can have companies that automate everything. Everything is, is fully functional. Everything is, is easy, automatic, automatic down online. And you have companies that, you know, require some human, human to interact to, 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 with the company, to do things with the company and, and to, and to you know, call customer support and that sort of thing. And I think, I think all we're seeing here is the same kind of thing that we that we have in, in the corporate world sort of being implemented in the in the crypto space. It's, yeah, it's it's like the you know, when I read the Raid Guild stuff yesterday and I'm I'm at the Dowhouse.club website right now, it just strikes me it's almost like instant like this stuff DAOs to companies and organizations is what Snapchat is to Instagram and Facebook. Like people who use Facebook don't understand Snapchat and the people who use Snapchat don't want the rest of the world to understand how even the UI works. Because I look at what I, when I read Raid Guild, I, I just think to myself, is this English? Am I that behind that all these terms and things? Like, just listen to getting started on Dow House. Okay, so become an LP. I don't know, even, is it like a limited partnership? Is that what that is? Provide liquidity on the house pool on Swapper. 
So LP is a liquidity pool. You have okay. to have a pool of liquidity right, to thank run you. your own token. Second step, stake on Swapper. Stake your LP tokens to earn both DXD and WE as rewards. Great. I have no clue what that means. Clan. Oh, step but, three, it's so, clan. So, so, so let's, let's, let's break this down a little bit easier because I think, I think Alex's point of pointing these out is, is a good thing to, to, to do, right? Like when, when we're talking staking, what we're really saying is like, we're going to, we're going to basically take a certain amount of a token or of ether or whatever it is that you're, that you're utilizing and, and we're going to lock it in and we're not going to move it. Like that's, that's staking basically. Staking is saying, Hey, I'm not going to sell my, I'm basically committing to this thing. I'm staking it. I, I'm, I'm staking it to the ground essentially. And I'm not going to sell it off. I can't sell it off in some instances, like the way that, depending on how you codify it. And, and so that's where you hear like terms like proof of stake, where you're basically staking to the thing, saying, I'm committed to this. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is for this. And I'm not going to move my money out. And that's, I think, what they mean by, by staking in this, in this term. Yeah, it's like an escrow. Yeah. That's not like a treasury, right? That's, that's something else. It can be. I mean, you can stake and get percentage back. Everything can be everything. Everything could be coded. Everything could be codable. So why don't we, why don't you, let's walk through this. So we're at DowHouse.club. DowHouse is saying, hey, you should, you should, our platform is to, is to help you create your communities through DAOs. And it tells us the very first thing it says is that, is that house token aligns all DAOs on the platform. I don't even know what that means. So as we create more value together, that value flows back to the house token. So now I'm thinking, oh, who's behind the house token? Who's going to, what, what Ponzi scheme is this? Who owns the majority of that? Yeah. Okay. So I don't like that off the bat. I'm like, no, I don't want, I don't want to, what benefits do I get? You know, is it like a better business bureau sticker on my store that says, I have been approved and you can shop in my place with trust and with ease. What's the difference between me hosting a WordPress site and me going on Shopify or going on another person's platform? The idea behind us utilizing a platform and a whole bunch of people utilize, there's benefits and there's negatives, right? Like the benefit is I don't have to codify all a lot of this stuff myself. I don't have to figure a lot of stuff out myself. I go with their platform. It, it simplifies the process for me. And I don't have to worry about a lot of things. In exchange, I'd also don't, I also lose control over a lot of different things, right? And so, and so the, the, the analogy here can be kind of used in the same way. You can go out and you can build your own DAO. You can build your own platform DAO. You can build your own D apps with, with all of the, with all the component connections and everything. And that's going to take time and cost and money. Or you can go with them, simplify the process a little bit and start making money right away. I think the connection here is the same to, to like a Shopify versus like a hosting your own WooCommerce scenario. I, I, I don't feel like I agree with that uh, analogy only because when I am choosing to use someone else's token, I am potentially adding value to a token that someone else could benefit from. Whereas if I'm just talking about hosting my site on WordPress or Shopify, Shopify takes a little transaction fee. So I suppose for them, they get a little, and I might just say, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to build my own. Uh, it's almost like a payment gateway process as comparison for me. But 
you know, early on in the very early days, I guess people would say, well, is Shopify legit? Is it going to be around? Should I build my store on it? What if it doesn't exist two years from now? And, and how many other shopping platforms have tanked in the process of forcing stores to, to migrate to Shopify, right? So, so we're kind of in that world where these DAO ecosystems or these DAO platforms are trying to get you to come in and then trying to have you base off their token, which again, it's in a trustless system. They're asking people to trust platforms and it drives me nuts. Same thing is happening on the NFT front for sure. You've got NFT platforms that are trying to get folks to jump on board and get their stuff situated and, and launch in their drops and all this other stuff. And it's it's just consolidation. Each report's a vacuum. And so where, where there is a vacuum in the space, people are going to try to fill it. And that's being filled by a lot of shady characters, I can tell you. Like something Etienne said earlier, you know, is, is there a better business bureau sticker? And and I know I mistook using MetaMask to like log in kind of securely to a website. For some reason, I thought that was safe. No, I'm logging in with MetaMask. And then I went to go stake something and, and I did, I'm, I will never pull that ETH out again, you know? <laughs> so it was a scam, right? And, and I thought about it. It was like, okay, so what if that's an opening? Somebody can come in and, and say, yes, this has a stamp of approval. And then we're centralized again. So it's, it's kind of this, it all loops back to becoming centralized. I can't see how this successfully doesn't get centralized again in the future. Ken, just to jump in, this reminds me sort of of the diamond rush that happened in the 1800s to South Africa, where diamonds were discovered and people were being canvassed to go and work in the mines because they could all become very rich. And who did that message appeal to? Wasn't to rich elite Europeans. It was to people who were on the downs and on the outs and on their last legs. And they ended up all going to South Africa with the hopes of striking it rich or at least just living a decent life. What they ended up doing was they became laborers inside of mines that became multi-bazillion dollar empires for two or three families, right? And, and I mean, it's that, that's what all of this reminds me of is everybody who is now drawing little thingies on pieces of toilet paper and taking a photo of it. And now it's an NFT because hopefully that creates some sort of thing for me. But now you have what's happening with OpenSea. Now everyone's sort of gunning for OpenSea. OpenSea is all of a sudden becoming the man, right? And everyone's now upset with OpenSea because of the valuation so high. It's so successful. And now the next platform is going to come and try and destroy that. So, man, we are in the white water while everyone else is having picnics on beautiful green lakes and having toasted sandwiches. And we're all in the white water being pummeled in the waves. Yeah, but what a ride. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't this kind of like the, the friendster to MySpace to Facebook? So of the early web two days, there's folks just trying to figure out what is going to be the, the interaction and the value provide that gets people to stick to them and allows them to grow, to build that like kind of unassailable position. 
And I think everybody, there's so much money flowing in right now that of course you're going to get the charlatans that come in and, and try to scam folks, but there's also going to be some really long enduring value that comes out of it, but it's just going to be 98% of what we're seeing now is going to be failed. And there's a one or 2% that are going to be the foundations for what the next evolution of this whole market looks like. And it's hard for any of us. I mean, if, if we knew what that was going to be, we'd all be there and everyone, you know, we'd all be rich, but it's, we're still trying to figure it out. It's still trying to shake out. There's all of this experimentation and variation and, and imitation that are happening. And it's going to take a while for us to get there. But it, it does seem a little, like you said, like we're in the white water, but it's also kind of exciting and interesting to see how all of this shakes out. And, you know, Michael, said he left he left his job to go to get deep into this world and he's he's committed to to seeing all this through and you know some of us some others of us are are sitting on the sideline watching pretty intently seeing how it's going to shake out and like kind of dipping a toe in here and there and there are other folks who are just like call me when it's over now you guys figure it out i think there's a lot of parallels between what etienne was describing about the diamond mines and the san francisco gold rush right many people traveling from the east coast to the west coast for the gold rush you know like tried to make their make it big and tried to to get make their gold, but who actually made money during the San Francisco Gold Rush? It was the people providing the pickaxes, the people providing the tools, the the equipment, the housing, the brothels, the the food. All of those things were the people that actually made real significant money in the San Francisco Gold Rush. And it's no different with, with any gold rush in this instance. Like like yeah, like very few people are. A lot of people are going to get into this market. Very few people are going to make significant amounts of money. Maybe they might make a good living, but it's the people providing the tools, building the tools. Those are the people that you're going to see succeed significantly in this space. I was about to say something very, very similar, like the whole diamond rush and then the San Francisco gold rush. And, you know, when I was in grade school in Alaska, we were taught Alaska history, the Alaska gold rush. And I don't, or the Klondike gold rush. And I don't remember if it was Chilkoot Pass or whatever, whatever the place was where they had to go up this mountain pass. And they would climb up there and climb up there. And one guy went with a big old grinding stone on his back. Because once you got in that mountain pass, once you got past it, mining the gold, the people who made the money were the people providing the services to the miner, like you're saying. And the guy who brought that that uh, grinding stone to sharpen all their tools, yeah, just a pinch of gold, you got plenty, and he got rich. Maybe there's a parallel. What tools could I could we build? And that's partly why I'm exploring all the different things. Yeah, OpenSea is like we just talked about OpenSea, but it's one of those tools. Everybody wants to mint some NFTs and sell and buy OpenSea. Here's your, you know, toolkit. But uh, I think it's going to be similar to creator economy. Like creator economy, the last three years have gotten so much tooling, so much everything from no code, you know, website building, all kind of things to launch your, you know, educational course on, like there's like, there's so many tools for every, every kind and every little stuff industry of creator economy. And it's great. I mean, I think it's great. I think everybody who wants to do something now, creator economy can abstract away from the complexities of the, you know, dealing with code and some, you know, other things that actually focus on what they like the most. I think, I mean, Web3 and crypto world in general also needs to build levels of abstraction 
uh, of course, you know, without losing the decentralization somehow, but building levels of abstraction is going to help bring more smart, motivated people in who wants to do something now, solve a problem using the tools that are available in the crypto space, which right now might be just a little too, like, just like ATN was reading through this, you know, a couple of bullet points, you know, each. 99.9% of people reading so it's like, no, I'm like, this doesn't make sense. But like three, five years from now, I bet you would have to think about those things when they launch it down. And it's hopefully still has the Web3 ethos of decentralization and, you know, no monopolies, but still, you know, gives you the tooling to achieve your goals without having to worry about certain technicalities. I wonder if that's. That's where we're, we're going to get to. But that's that's where the market demand for all kinds of tooling comes in. Like, I think there's a lot of demands for to simplify a lot of those concepts into something that is easier to deal with. Hey, this is Etienne. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're having as much fun as I am wrestling through these concepts and these ideas. If you love this, please give us a rating. Leave us a review. Head to 7CTOs.com slash podcast and we'll see you soon.